Hey everybody, this is an introduction to ION 2020, the first couple episodes I'm going to tag this introduction to, just because when I first started podcasting, I was really new to it, and I didn't understand how sound worked, I didn't really understand the format of podcasting and so forth, so if you'll bear with me on the first 15 to 20 shows or so, I guarantee if you get through those ones, you'll uh, start enjoying a lot of the topics that we cover on this show. I do have a Monday through Friday show, so if you want to subscribe to the show, you can do that as well. You can listen to the newer episodes, but if you're one of those people that starts at episode one and then goes through, just keep that in mind that I was brand new to podcasting at the time, and I'd really appreciate you subscribing to the show, though. I welcome you to listen to another perspective on the 2020 election. I take a libertarian take on these things, and if you like to hear a different take on the 2020 election then definitely this is a place for you, okay? So thank you for joining me, and uh, go ahead and subscribe to the show so you can hear the show tomorrow, the brand new shows that we put out day in and day out, Monday through Friday, okay? Ion 2020, Episode 7. Thank you for joining me on the Eye on 2020 podcast. My name is Ray Eaton, and I will be your host as we move towards November of 2020. I plan to do all the research on these presidential candidates so you don't have to. So if you like politics, enjoy, because if 2020 is anything like 2016, we are in for a treat. Oh, and did I mention I'm a libertarian through and through? Hello, everybody out there. This is Ray Eaton. I am your host of the I on 2020 podcast. Over the next two years, I'll be bringing all of the information that you need to make a f- great decision going into the 2020 elections. I'll be covering the Democrats, the Republicans, third parties, and taking them apart and looking at them from a libertarian perspective. Now, going into 2020, you're going to be, we're going to, you know, we're starting to see some people come out that they're going to get, you know, that they're going to be running for the presidency. We've already had Elizabeth Warren start an exploratory committee, and you're starting to see other people out there as well. Uh, Donald Trump has announced from the very beginning that he was going to run for president in 2020. And, you know, it's going to be an exciting, it's going to be an exciting uh, election period going forward. And, I'm getting started here. I started up in the beginning of January this year of 2018, or 2019, sorry. And, you know, we're going to be, for the rest of the year, there's not going to be too much news, I'm sure. There's going to be people that are starting to form exploratory committees. We're getting started. I'm getting started early, though, because I want to make sure that, um, that, you know, I'm covering all of the issues that come about. And I'm trying to make this a daily podcast at this point, which... You know, there's there, there's news that comes out and so forth every so often, but I think for the next couple of months or so, I'm going to continue to do the daily podcast. I'm going to continue to, um, you know, just look into some issues as well and maybe start coming up with some other ideas outside of the candidates who are announcing. But I'll still be following those people. I'll still be bringing you the news on those people as well that are announcing their candidacy or announcing exploratory committees. Um, 
I might start digging into some of these third parties as well and do some specific episodes on third parties and their candidates in the past. I might start digging into um, some of these Republicans that might run against Donald Trump. Or So you never do know. There, there has been some talk about somebody running against Donald Trump. It could happen. And he's not He's not a uh, invincible candidate by any means. He's he has some issues. He has some weaknesses. He has some strengths. Uh, li- libertarians even think that he has some weaknesses and strengths. That's not you know, that's not uncommon for libertarians that I talk to, who you know do defend Donald Trump on a lot of these issues. But you know, there's other there's other libertarians who do not defend Donald Trump on a lot of issues. And you know, it's it's kind of a two way street though. You're gonna have good. You're gonna have bad. And when you come at it from an ideological perspective that says that, you know, we should we should severely limit limit our government, we should, you know, nearly have no government. When you come from that ideological perspective, you're going to have plenty of candidates that are going to um, agree with you on some things and disagree with you on other things. But it's the candidates that I find that come come at it from a statist perspective, from the perspective that the state can solve all problems, that the state is the end-all, be-all when it comes to solving problems. I mean, you 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 always hear people say something to the effect of, we need to fix this, and we need to fix the roads, we need to fix the bridges, we need to fix health care. Or they'll say, we need to control health care spending. When they're saying that, they're saying it from a perspective of a statist, who, who, when you ask them, well, how is that going to happen? How are we going to fix, how are we going to control healthcare costs? Then they start saying, then they'll say something to the effect of, well, we're going to pass a law to do this, this, and this. Or we're going to pass this law, we're going to, you know, when it really comes down to it, they're looking at it from a status perspective. And the libertarian comes at it from a, from a much different perspective. The libertarian, you know, believes that, People should be hands off of that government. That maybe you should leave things a little bit more to the free market, and you know, actually, all the way to the free market. So, because this free market can solve those problems, we do see that from the healthcare perspective. We see that in like LASIK eye surgery. When you look at LASIK eye surgery back in the eighties and nineties, I guess when it's when they first started doing the LASIK eye surgery and LASIK eye surgery is where they get in there with lasers and they fix, they correct your vision so that you don't have to wear glasses anymore. And that was a very, very expensive uh, thing to go to the doctor, you know, or surgery to have done way back when it first came out. But, you know, nowadays, cause it's, it's, it's an, it's a procedure that's done to people. That's an optional procedure. So it's usually not con- not uh, covered by your insurance and if it is it's you know might be a small amount would be covered by your insurance nowadays it actually uh, somewhat is covered on some insurance because I've seen that on my insurance plan so the statist is gonna you know refer everything back to the government when it comes down to solving all the problems and when we look at the candidates that's kind of what I'd like to start doing is get a general idea of where that candidate stands on issues and what they what they believe, and I mean, obviously, anyone that's going to be running for president, anyone, anyone that's going to be running uh, for any ele- elected office, essentially, is going to be looking at everything from a status perspective, or else they wouldn't do it. For example, if you're 
running for city council, you're going to talk to people and you're going to shake hands and they're going to say, well, what are you going to do for me? So they're asking you in a roundabout way, what are you going to use the government? What are you going to do for me? What are you going to get when you get into office? What are you going to do with the power of government that's been given to you? That's going to help me. That's all they're asking. So anyone that's going to be running for president is going to have, you always hear it, don't you? When you're listening to a candidate speak, they act like they have all the answers in the world. You have, you know, Alexandra Cortez is the type of person she always thinks she has all the answers to everything because that's what they're expected to do, right? Even podcasters, sometimes you think to yourself, man, these guys, you know, like you listen to podcasts throughout the day. I do anyway. And they seem to have all the answers right. Well, I'm one of those libertarians that, you know, I believe that I have some good views, I have some good objective ideas and so forth, but I don't think I have all the answers by any means. But, um, you know, unquestionably, you can't change your mind about things when it comes down to specific political issues and so forth. And, you know, it's good to have such an objective view. It's good to have such a way of looking at the world that you can be unflinching and never change your views. Um, and that's good. And a lot of libertarians are like that, but I, I'm one of those that if I look at something, you know, I, I, I look at it from a, from my anarcho capitalist ideal ideology, but I, you know, understand that we're in the real world as well. So we're not going to, you know, it, everything can't be so black and white all the time. And candidates though, when you look at these political candidates, especially ones that are running for president, they are all full of themselves. They think that they have all the answers in the world and they really do think in their minds sometimes that, you know, without them, the world's going to fall apart. And that's just, I mean, to me, that's just absolutely crazy that they would think that way. I couldn't imagine thinking of myself as that important to the world that if I don't become elected president, you know, the world's going to fall apart. But look at Hillary Clinton back in 2004. You know, 14 and 15, 2016, you're listening to this lady talk and she acted like the, you know, the entire world revolved around her. And if, you know, she had all the answers and if, you know, she didn't get elected, there was going to be nuclear war at the end of the year in 2016 and everything. I mean, it, it was just absolutely insane the way that these politicians think of themselves. But I mean, who else would run for president, right? When I got to, when I started. When I decided that I wanted to start this podcast, I always thought to myself, well, I mean, I don't know everything, so why would I start a podcast? So, I mean, there there needs to be some humility for these politicians, and there seems to be never, there seems to never be any humility for these politicians, right? Um, so, when we start looking at all these politicians, though, that's what I'm going to look at, is I want to find out what they believe, where they are from a status perspective, and you know, really judge these people accordingly. So getting back to the the Trump thing, though, I think that Donald Trump may have some people that are thinking about running against him. I've, I've said it before in a previous podcast that they're, you know, that John Kasich of Ohio was talking about running against him. And that really might happen. You never can tell, right? Um, but I mean, there's there's other there's other potential people that might run against him as well on the re, on the Republican ticket. Now, obviously, Democrats are going to run against him, and there's going to be third parties as well. But will anybody have the audacity to go against Donald Trump? 
going into 20 going into 2020 will anybody on that republican ticket or on that republican side be willing to do that a lindsey graham i mean that guy's has i mean he's he hardly got any vote back way back when when he ran in 2016 you probably don't even remember him running right um So since we're talking about Donald Trump and some potential people that can uh, run against him and so forth, let's just jump right into some Trump uh, news and so forth. So the Atlantic today has a, excuse me, that was yesterday, January 10th, 2019, Ronald Brownstein wrote an article in the Atlantic and the, the headline says this, Trump's wall could cost him 2020. The president's relentless efforts to cement the loyalty of his base is alienating him from the amb ambivalent voters who provided him critical support in 2016. So let's let's dive into this and, and that, a analyze this a little bit. President Donald Trump may now be talking more about steel than cement, but his proposed border wall remains the Rosetta Stone for understanding both his conception, conception of the presidency and his political strategy. Nothing better illustrates Trump's political calculus than his determination to build the wall a goal that most Americans consistently oppose in polls, even at the cost of shutting down the federal government, a tactic that surveys show most Americans also consistently reject. Politically, the showdown over the shutdown demonstrates how much more Trump prioritizes energizing and mobilizing his passionate base, often with messages that appeal to anxiety about demographic or cultural change, over broadening his support towards anything that approaches the majority of the country, it sends the same message about his priorities in the executive in executing his office. Trump makes no pretense of governing as president of the entire nation. Instead, he governs as a champion of his slice of America against all the forces in the country his supporters dislike and distrust. An instinct he displays again this week with his latest threats to cut off disaster relief funding for California. So what they're saying generally is that, you know, Trump is only he doesn't he doesn't pride himself on governing all the people just his supporters and you know you do see that a lot i mean he but the guy was i always say this though the guy was not shy about talking like that during the during the election he said that he was going to put tariffs on china he said that he was going to put up a border wall and you know keep mexicans out there there was no shyness whatsoever so you wonder if there's a large group of people that silently believe those things as well. Who knows? But he got elected, so they must, right? Um, so, I mean, the struggle over the border wall actually provides a re revealing gauge of Trump's prospects in that front. From the start of his presidential campaign, immigration, more than any other issue, captured the potential benefits of Trump's strategy of pursuing depth of support over breadth. Breath. So, even during the 2016 Republican primaries, a majority of voters opposed deporting all undocumented Im documented immigrants in all but two of the 20 states where exit polls asked the opt their opinion. Yet the minority of voters that supported deportation backed Trump in such preponderant numbers that they provided a majority of his votes in all but two of the 20 states. The article also says, overall attitudes about the wall in December in a December poll remains similar to 2016 with 43% supporting and 54% opposing. So if that's similar, 43% supporting and 54% opposing 
a wall. And I wonder how, you know, what the margin of error is on that. That's a lot of people that support the wall. 43% of people support the wall. And maybe it's a lot of southern rednecks as, you know, all the all the uh, mainstream media people, you know, the talking heads, the liberal pundits say it's just a bunch of rednecks that voted for Trump or whatever um, that support that. Like, keep up, you know, America, keep all those Mexicans out of here, all that stuff. Um, but you don't get a, you don't get 43% of people supporting a wall like that. Um, without it being some regular old, um, regular, regular people, right? So, and yeah, 54% opposing. And I wonder when they say supporting and opposing, like how much is it just a, do you support or oppose a wall? Because there's, there's everything in between as well when you're thinking about a poll. So I, this, this article, I mean, it, it says that it basically says that the wall can cost them 2020. Um, but if, if 43% of people support a wall, then that's, I mean, that that's a huge base of people that support this wall. And I just don't see, uh, see it as a, as that big of an issue right now. Now the government shutdown can become an issue for the guy. And we all, you know, it's been, I think it's been like 17, 18 days right now since the wall, since the government shutdown over this wall, uh, came to be. And, you know, the, is it going to be a winner or a loser for him? I th I think it's divided on whether that is because I was actually you know out out at a at a sales account yesterday and I started talking to this gentleman and you know I just brought up you know what does he think about the 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 government or I I asked him about what do you think about business right now now since there's gonna this is, since there's a government shutdown do you think it's gonna affect your business because in the car industry these dealers the, you know used cars specifically in dealerships they really do depend upon a good tax time and when I say tax time I mean that you know the time that people are getting their pay their tax checks back and they depend upon that because you're gonna get people coming in that have a two or three thousand dollar check that they can put as a down payment on a vehicle and i asked them i just asked them in generally i said i said well what do you think about the shutdown do you think it's going to affect your business because is it going to our, our tax checks going to come out and he just went into a fit not a fit i guess but it was you know he just die hard trump supporter um could have been wearing a Make America Great Again hat for all I know for the entire 2015 and 16. Like this guy just said, I don't see what the big fuss is. They just need to put this wall up um, and and open up that government. These people, you know, like he was completely defending Trump. And you can tell that he watched that, you know, 30, 40 minutes that Trump talked the other night on TV where he came out and he gave the, the, you know, tried to make a case for an emergency order to build this wall. And this guy just spewed all the things that he was talking about. That, you know, there's heroin coming through, there's people being, you know, kids coming across the border and being sold into slavery and all that. And he just completely, you know, was defending everything that Trump said. So, the people that are diehard about this guy are not going to be, you know, offended by him shutting down government for a little while. Um, this guy actually said he could keep it closed as long as he has to. Let's just get this done. So 
those people's minds are not going to be changed. I think it's the people in the middle that will have the changes of mind. And it, I mean, it's it, because I don't know how it is, but there's always the undecided voters that are out there, right? Like you got Hillary Clinton running against uh, Donald Trump, or let's the you know let's use a better one, Barack Obama against Mitt Romney, and people are undecided, right? Um, you got people that you, you have the people that are diehard Obama stores, diehard Mitt Romney supporters, and then you have people that are undecided. I I I can't imagine I was ever undecided on any of those at, during any election ever, actually. But there are people that are like that, so you're going to have those people that are undecided, and that's the when you, when the people that are against the wall, 54%, and for the wall, 44%. And then you have a certain amount of people that are, you know, 4% that maybe didn't answer the, didn't answer it or undecided, whatever. So, um, but those people's minds going to be changed, and that's that's all there is to it. So, I mean, the article in the Atlantic, they're trying to make a case that this is going to hurt him. By doing this government shutdown over the wall, I don't see that. I I really don't. Um, and walking, I mean, I talk to a lot of people, and I try not to bring up politics as much as possible when I'm out in the, out in the field doing my job. Um, I try to stay, remain business, you know, all business when I'm out there. But sometimes I hear people talk, and those people, I mean, the the true and true Trump supporters are all about, you know, all about this wall. So that's not going to, and, and those are the people that are going to get out there and vote in 2020. So let's move on. I, I, I found some other interesting articles as well. And one of them was uh, about a Senator Kirsten Gildebrand, Gildebrand that is going to be running for, there uh, is going to be making an announcement to run for president in 2020. And I don't know if y'all have ever heard of him, heard of her. I've honestly never heard of her. And, uh, I'm not sure what her what her politics are or her policies are. Uh, she is running as a Democrat. She says she's the New York Democrat um, senator, and she's going to make a announcement in February whether she's going to run. And uh, she's getting together some staff members right now to put together this possible run for presidency in 2020. And uh, and then the article says there you know there's other Democrats recently that have decided that they're not going to run. That includes billi- billionaire and environmentalist Tom Steyer. And then you got former Massachusetts Governor Devel Patrick, who declined to run for 2020 as well. Uh, it says, Gillibrand easily won re-election to the Senate in 2018 with more than $10.6 million in campaign money left over that she can funnel towards the presidential bid. Wow, they really get to keep all that money? $10.6 million left over? Um, so it just must be sitting there and she can use it to see if she can get elected president. Who knows? Uh, in recent weeks, she worked to expand her fundraising network and to improve her standing among critical voting blocks, including African-American voters. So that brings me to another article because when it said at the very end, including African-American voters, um, and I'll get into Gillibrand's politics, I guess, later, but there's this... There's this article that I found in 538.com, and back in the 2015-2016 campaign, they were mentioning, or they would publish this a specific chart, and it has five circles on it that represent five things that, or five types of voters, I guess, within the Republicans, 
and there was the um, the self-described moderate moderate voters, and you had the Christian voters, Libertarian voters, the Tea Party voters, and so forth. And it kind of puts everybody where they're at. So you got the moderate voters, the establishment voters, the Christian conservative voters, the Libertarian voters, and the Tea Party voters, and then it kind of ranks all of these Republicans within those circles. So on the Libertarian side, you got Ron, or excuse me, Rand Paul, but he's not completely away from all the other ones. He is uh, kind of towards the center of the Libertarian Tea Party-ish establishment group, right? And then you have Trump, who is in the Tea Party, you know, far spectrum of the Tea Party, because Tea Party people just love that guy. And then you have the Christian conservatives with like, um, Huckabee and Rick Santorum, you have uh, Perry and Cruz and Carson, they were kind of in the Tea Party slash Kirsten conservative area of this little graph. Then you got the establishment people, you know, Lindsey Graham um, and so forth. Then you got the moderates who were like um, Kasich and Chris Christie and uh, Jeb Bush and all those. So they get in, they they start talking about what they're going to do with regard to these types of you know this type of graph but for the democrats because the democrats specifically um or excuse me the republicans are not going to have most likely are not going to have anyone running against trump so they're not going to have to make a graph for that but they're going to make a graph for the for the democrats and then you got it says these are the five um the five types of Democrats. They got the party loyalists who are the people that are like the establishment, right? So you got the same thing, the establishment Democrats versus the establishment Republicans. You got the party loyalists. You got the left who's the people that are, um, you know, very idealistic and so forth. You got the millennial and their friends. Uh, you got black voters and you got Hispanic voters. And to me, that was the most telling thing. You have the black voters and the Hispanic voters. So I just think that that, to me, if were the Republicans, you know, they didn't have anything to do with race whatsoever. But then with the with the Democrats, you do have that issue with the race right in there. That That's what I'm looking at. Black voters, Hispanic voters, millennials, the left, and then party loyalists. And to me, that's telling because the Democrats have always been a party that focuses in on... Um, race that focuses on dividing people into groups and in this scenario right here they're already doing that they're going to be dividing people into groups on where where the candidates stand with regards to those five issues um i just think it's hypocrisy because democrats always say that they are against racism they're against uh, you know they're they say that stuff but then when it really comes down to it, they are all about um, dividing people up into groups so that they can, you know, make people feel bad for not liking this group or whatever. And I just think from a, from a libertarian's perspective, I don't care who you are, man. I like you or don't, dislike, don't like you. It doesn't matter. I mean, I usually get along with most people and I, you know, I'm not going to worry too much about, you know, your race, your religion, your, your um, background when I talk to you. Um, to me, it doesn't matter, right? But for Democrats, it always seems like that is an issue. Republicans, I even see the Republican side starting to do that now, where they're playing they're playing these different um, groups against each other and so forth. And I just think that that is that is so wrong. But they say that as you know, as the 
government starts doing more, more tribes start fighting for their little piece of the pie, right? And our government does a lot, and these tribes are starting to get very well organized. And, you know, when you have, like, I think it's like 92% of black people vote for vote Democrat. When you have that much of a tribal mentality going on in the world, um, you know, there's a reason for that, right? There's a, there, and maybe Democrat, Democrats do, they speak to, they speak to the African-American community more than the Republicans do. It might be, it might be like, uh, more propaganda that's said to the, to people that, the Democrats are for you and the and the Republicans are not. I don't know. I, I don't I really don't know about that. All I know is that when you have ninety two percent of African Americans that do vote for Democrats, there's gotta be something going on there. There there's there's definitely an issue and it might just be the fact that the Republicans don't care. I have no idea. Um I don't follow I'm I'm not a Republican, so I don't follow those follow that politics too much. Um maybe libertarians will have a way to get in. Um, to the African-American community per se in order to uh, change some minds and change some hearts and change some views. Who knows? Um, but, I mean, libertarians typically are not going to say anything about um, a community per se. And, you know, Republicans and Democrats are going to talk to a community. And, you know, Demo or libertarians definitely will not do that. So it, it has to come from a, diff, a different side, I would imagine, in order to get more of the African-American vote, I guess, for the libertarians. And they always try to portray libertarians as, um, as, as racist and, you know, bigoted and all that stuff because they try to associate us with the, this alt-right movement, uh, you know, the Charlottesville and everything, which is completely untrue. And uh, most libertarians are just, you know, leave me alone and I'll leave you alone, I think is the is a good way to put a lot of libertarians, not all of them. Um, there's, there's different spectrums or, or across the board. There's the, but when you really get down to it, most libertarians are just the, you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone, and we're good to go. So you got the, the five different groups that they were talking about focusing on, though, within the Democratic side, the party loyalists, the lefts, the millennial, and the friends, millennials and their friends, and then black voters and Hispanic voters. I just wanted to bring that up because I just thought it was really odd that they are lumping, you know, specific races in to the Democratic voter versus, I mean, five years ago or two years ago with the Republicans, it was moderate establishment, Christian, conservative, libertarian and Tea Party, which is there's nothing based upon race. The only one that's in there is like religion, you know, because you do have Christian conservatives who do in droves vote for Republicans for some reason. Um because they think that, well, I, I guess that really comes down to the abortion issue, though, because Christian conservatives, the uh, they they tend to be very anti-abortion and, you know, against abortion, against, I guess you would say, women's right to choose, although I don't use that term because um, I'm kind of neutral on that issue. I might get blown up right now by saying anything about uh, the abortion issue because I try to leave that alone in my conversations because that is such a divisive issue. Um, but you know, the, so the only place within this group of five things for the, for the Republicans though, that was, you know, one specific group was the Christian conservatives. So moving on. So I think that, you know, right now, if you look at the, if you're, 
if you're going to look into the Democrats right now, the only person that is pretty much close to running that anyone will probably care about is Elizabeth Warren, right? And then you got this Gilda Brand lady, and I think I want to kind of bring up a few of her issues. So who is Liz, or Kirsten, Kirsten Gillibrand? She is a senator from New York, and I got, let me, so I just pulled up her Wikipedia page, because there's nearly not anything on her right now. There's not a 2020 uh, Gillibrand 2020 page right now. Uh, so who is she? She was born in uh, 1966, December 9th, 1966, and so she's around 50, 53 years old, Um She's an, she was an attorney and politician serving the junior United States Senator from New York since January 2009. She previously held a position in the US rep, as a U.S. representative for New York's 20th con Congressional District. I think she was up near about 60, 70 miles north of uh, New York City is what they were saying. In December, President-elect Obama no nominated second-term incumbent U.S. Senator Hillary Clinton as United States Secretary of State leaving an empty seat in New York, and that's when she took over that seat uh, for Hillary Clinton. So that's a little bit about her in general. Um, I'm trying to find a little bit about her politics as well. I think that that would be interesting to know. So as a member of the Democratic Party, she's been relatively conservative. They call her a blue, like part of the blue dog faction while in the House uh, Gillibrand has moved her political positions and ideology towards a liberal progressive position since her appointment to the Senate. In both cases, her views were significantly defined by the respective constituencies she served. So she's really just a flip-flopper, is what it's pretty much saying, that she'll go from the blue dog conservative side, which is, you know, those upstate New York type people, to the uh, liberal progressive side when she's covering the entire state. Uh, of uh, New York. In both cases, her views were simply defined by her, the respective constituencies, is what it says there. Um, for example, although she had been quiet on the U.S. military's don't ask, don't tell policy when she was in the House during her first 18 months in the Senate, Gillibrand was an important part of the successful campaign to repeal it, which that's fine. Um, don't ask, don't tell. I think, I mean, the, even Obama's supported that in the beginning right and then it kind of just went away over time which um to you know to most people you know we're in a day and age where you can be open about your sexuality it doesn't really matter um and you know most politicians especially democrats in general have um have transformed their I ideas i guess you'd say over time and they've they've changed their views. I mean, Obama was against gay marriage, and then he was for it. So that that's probably just changing your views based upon general the general sentiment that people have about it, right? Um, so during the lame duck session of the 111th Congress, Gillibrand scored two substantial legislative victories: the repeal of "Don't Ask, Don't Tell," and the passage of James Zadroga's 9/11 Health and Compensation Act. Both were issues she had advocated for during their, that session. In the aftermath of these victories, many commentators opinion that these victories marked her emergence on the national stage. So she hasn't really done much as a candidate or as a politician in the past, but she um, definitely has the look. You'd have to look her up, but she has the look to be, you know, somebody that people might like as a presidential candidate. And, um, you know, she's definitely 
a progressive and that seems like the very popular view nowadays so you know she might be be able to go somewhere but as she puts up her page as she announces we will get back to you on more of those issues then but i appreciate you coming out and listening to the eye on 2020 podcast my name is ray eaton and please go ahead and like this subscribe to it and share it with your friends because uh, over the next two years, there's going to be lots of important issues that come out, and they'll be covered here first on the Eye on 2020 podcast. Thank you, and have a great day.